Did you know you can get all of our podcasts on our free podcast app? Head over to rawattractionpodcast.com to download the app now. For the world's most ecstatic love and sex podcasts, bonus videos, and exclusive articles, head to rawattractionpodcast.com to get the free app now. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Raw Attraction Magazine podcast. Today, we have Prana on the line in San Diego. Uh, he's someone I met earlier this year, a very interesting guy who is a healer. Uh, he works with Chinese medicine and craniosacral work. Um, we have done a, a podcast with Dr. Doug Lair back, I think it was in the 30s. It might be podcast 36, um, where we were talking about very much healing aspects of uh, relationships and for me the journey of relationship uh, with another and with ourselves is a healing journey um, and as we kind of see the face um, of the other person or or the soul of another person when we interact with them um, especially in a very intimate relationship, all these things bubble to the surface. As Teal Swan actually said on our first podcast, the the, the line, uh, love will show us everything that love is not. And that um, is just indicative of the healing that needs to be done inside ourselves um, so we can move forward in a greater depth of love. So this will be quite an interesting conversation today for those people who are really diving deep into their own self-healing um so yeah it'd be great to speak to prana now how are you doing hi steve i'm doing well thank you hi hello everyone and thank you for pulling me on this conversation i'm looking forward to it and also i do healing work in ayurveda chinese medicine and craniosacral although all these three look different but essentially at their foundation level they're all same Okay, so yeah, you mix the three, but you're saying they're the same. So, so tell us a little bit about what you do on a day-to-day -day basis and work that you do would be great. Sure. My focus is primarily chronic diseases. Um, people who have chronic pain, chronic autoimmune, who are not able to fully functionally live their fullness of life. Um, and I combine three medicines, Ayurveda, Chinese, and Kranisekin, and all three rely on uh, focusing on life inside rather than disease inside. We um, both, all three medicines, find try to revive the life that is hiding behind, and then often it requires person to reflect on their own internal being, along with herbs and acupuncture and um, Kranisekin work. But all of these three focus on again becoming whole inside, um, fullness or completeness inside to be able to then have a quality of life that we are looking for. One of my teachers used to say, all he does is cleans windows. He literally mean that all he does is clears the perception of a person so that they can actually perceive themselves who they really are rather than overlapped by traumas and diseases and calling themselves and becoming a disease or calling themselves as a problem rather than a human being. And I say a uh, very similar thing that my goal is uh, clearing internals of subtle body, clearing internals of uh, person's uh, psyche, cleaning internals of person's uh, blood and chi, as we call in Chinese medicine, where it's flowing and it's not flowing. So it's more or less, it's a cleaning process to, so that person can see themselves as full and complete. Yeah, would you say this is kind of the 
one of the main big difference between Western and Eastern medicine is that on the Eastern side of the ones, the modalities that you work with, they uh, encourage this internal looking um, through the facilitation of uh, an expert such as yourself um, to take them to look inside, whereas Western medicine doesn't really focus on that very much. Um, the difference you can say is like a difference between microscope and telescope. Mm -hmm. uh, Western medicine is like a microscope. It's trying to find um, symptoms after symptoms and the smallest thing that is repeating. So they will give you medicine for every symptom because they're looking for the small causes for every small thing that is going wrong in our body. So they will disconnect every symptom as a separate. So if you have a headache, you have pain in your stomach, you get pain in your cramps in your muscles. All three are three different things. And they'll give you three different medicines, like a microscope, breaking down things and looking for smallest things. Um, Ayurvedic and Chinese medicine, craniosacral, kind of reverses that and looks at the telescope. In other words, we look for the far widest context in which all these three connect. We look for a pattern. We, we take all the symptoms as a branch of a root problem. And then, yes, we treat the symptoms to give a little bit of uh, uh, functioning so that you don't have a little bit of headache and uh, and cramps and stomach problem, but in the end we're looking for the root of all those three and then we target that. And often in a chronic disease, the root also has an emotional issue. So that's a big difference, I would say, between the two medicines. They both have their benefits, they both have their pros and cons, and they both have their strengths and weaknesses, um, but they both work well. Mm, and you're, I don't know if you're open to giving sort of your quote-unquote success rate in terms of uh, helping these clients who are in, in dire situations. I don't know how it's possible to quantify it or not. But um, I'll, I'll give you a quote directly from in the oldest text in Chinese medicine. Okay, it says that a novice person who has just basically completed his work as a novice and starting the journey as a physician, novice person will, um, with the medicine, can be, can uh, can help 70% of the 100% people. Uh, advanced practitioner who has years of experience um, can treat up to 80%. And a sage, highly evolved being up to 90%. Mm. That's usually what the rate I have seen. Not just me, but the people I practice with my own um, colleagues and peers. They reflect over the time saying the same thing. In terms of preventative health, I think... One of the things I'm very much interested in on a personal level is preventative health through eating, through emotional wellness. Would you say uh, preventative health is absolutely key to not getting yourself in the chronic condition in the first place? And then what kind of aspects, if so, what kind of aspects should we be looking at specifically in our emotional lives, that being the case? Yes, absolutely. Um, we kind of say you don't dig a well when you're thirsty. In other words, don't wait until you fall sick to look for a remedy. You have to uh, continuously, ongoingly prevent, uh, be in a preventative awareness. And the m biggest one is living in harmony with yourself. In other words, knowing who you really are inside. Uh, 
your own self. And Ayurveda starts with that. If you think in Ayurvedic medicine, the first thing that we do in Ayurvedic medicine is understand your constitution, who your, what is your innate nature. And uh, we don't separate body, emotions, mind, senses. Um, in fact, the Ayurveda, most people think, says that it's mind, body, and consciousness. But actually, it's mind, body, senses, and awareness. Most people drop senses to kind of trying to fit into the um, trinity of Western viewpoint. But senses is huge. Uh, senses is what causes us to experience inner and outer. Without senses, there won't be cravings. There won't be uh, outlets of emotions. Without senses, we won't really be a human being. Imagine having no senses, none of your senses working, um, um, taste, flavor, hearing, uh, living with eyes, touch, imagine and smell. All of these senses, if you don't have, what kind of human life that will be? What kind of actually living life that will be? So in the world of uh, Ayurveda, the senses play the biggest role and they bind what we emotionally feel and also how we express that or how we connect with the physical world. So a lot of, a lot of people... Um, don't realize that the cravings they have for different things, whether it's craving for salads or cravings for food of sour nature or sweet nature. Internally, it doesn't differentiate whether it's coming from an emotional craving or actually a physical craving. What do I mean by that? If you're craving for sweetness and you think you need some sweet uh, to eat, it is not some always that the, you just went through a big workout and your body has low sugar that you need to eat sweet or a sugar to actually replenish your uh, physical body. Often people crave sweet after eating food, which means it's really not a physical craving because body already is full. You already ate food, but you're still craving sweet. So where is that craving coming from? It is coming from emotional aspect. Most often I've seen in chronic diseases, people have cravings of different things that will continue with sweet. It's because somewhere in their aspect of life, there is way too much bitterness. Somewhere in their aspect of life, they are stagnant, that they're looking for freshness. And that craving, then most easy way to abuse is to eat uh, through food. But really, it's an emotional craving, not a physical craving. So like body and mind doesn't actually separate. Senses don't actually tell you whether you're craving for physical sweetness or emotional sweetness, you just crave sweet. But you have to use your mind as a preventative to understand yourself. What are you really craving? If you're craving sweet eating after food, it probably is not your body's craving. It's something that in your life you went through or you're going through, and now your body is full of energy because you just ate food. That whole craving of having something sweet, even if it's a sweet kiss or even if it's a sweet touch that has been missing for a long time, that's what you're craving. Hmm. What is the practical thing to do at that point when if you come to that realization, I'm craving something sweet, uh, how do you give it to yourself without stuffing your face with full of chocolate? Explore. Best way. There is no one answer to craving because we are, we are, everyone is different. Everyone, when they are craving their senses, it's coming from something that is emotional and they have to explore what is it that really is. It may, it may be a very simple as sitting with somebody and listening to 
uh, how sweet they are or what or a compliment or even a music so it varies so explore and that's the beauty of being human that you can explore various spectrum of range of sweetness instead of just as you said shoving your face with chocolate yeah there's many things that you could dance on your own for yourself go for a walk in the park there's different sweet tastes in in life my next question was uh, linking linking that to addictions because when we realize maybe i don't know we've been buying chocolate every week or we're drinking every week or whatever the addiction is how does that play out long term if, if if we um don't get a hold of it and what what is your advice for getting rid of an addiction my experience and it's just my personal experience and i also read and treated people and is addiction usually has a root in early childhood mm-hmm. something in the childhood got imbalanced emotionally and that emotional unbalance remember stanless of groff um i don't know whether you know he's um yeah i've heard of him yeah he wrote a book holotropic um um breathwork holotropic yeah breathwork he does that workshop holotropic breathwork but also he wrote a book and he wrote many things about it his experience from his clinical trials uh on LSD when it was not banned and i think he's one of the few person who did long term clinical trials in clinic with patients of extreme disorders of uh, personality and emotional uh, with LSD and on himself um and he kind of came to conclusion um that when we are in the womb of a mother as we are our body is taking shape the awareness is in a different state of consciousness it is a state of consciousness where we don't have a sense of iness in other words we we don't we experience the world without sense of being i am here and this is my house and my work and my this there is no that i sense trauma when that happens in that state of consciousness can only be resolved when that person goes back into that state of consciousness and that sense of iness develops later on in life um that's why we are very we feel very happy with the child because that child has no sense of mine or uh, or ownership they only have that feeling of connection and we sense it that they have no mask they have no personality of saying i am this and i have this and this is mine and this is how i should be that doesn't exist and we develop it in other words our sense of iness which we take it for granted now we literally make it happen it doesn't exist as a real and it starts to develop after 6 months onwards and continues until 18 months by 18 months to a two year the child has that sense of my mother my my toys and my things and my that around that time between at that at that vulnerable age from 1 year to early teenage up to 10 the child is still developing and full fled and creating that sense of iness so the child goes back and forth between sometime having no sense of iness and having that when trauma occurs in that state that trauma a person as grows up will try to resolve it their internal self and when they try to resolve that internal self using the state of awareness they are in now which is completely sense of iness it cannot be resolved no matter how many things you do with it so that vacuum that gets created through that trauma you can put the whole world and universe in it it won't resolve 
because it's happened in a different state of awareness. So they have to literally journey back, which is where uh, craniosacral Chinese medicine and Ayurveda both all talk about that we focus on awakening mind, bringing them back to that wholeness to make them realize what happened in that trauma. Even if it's a small abuse, that can become a festering wound as they grow up, which turns to become an addiction. So addiction is literally a cry of their own internal self to become whole, let's put it that way. But the means there means the use of substance doesn't fill it. And most often I've seen is those person, when they get through that breakthrough of realizing that they have been healing in a different state, that they have to actually go back to the state and journey back into that awareness of wholeness and see where the trauma happened. That journey and realization and getting back to that state itself becomes healing. And once they have that, it doesn't mean that the trauma will go away. It's just that they can actually live with it without waving that much suffering and pain rather than and they don't have that need of voracious need of filling it and closing it they learn from that experience and evolve through it rather than make it as a ongoing pain and suffering that's definitely very interesting stuff i mean i i know from my own journey and watching other people's journey on on the kind of the healing path and this is maybe what the awakening path is as well where we realize we're not completely whole perfect humans we go on this journey to heal our childhood wounds and become a better human a more complete one and um, we try all these different things we could be drinking ayahuasca it could be going to different types of workshops going to different doctors and this is another aspect that you're mentioning the pre 18 months 24 months there's these aspects of ourselves that are unhealed traumatic experiences that perhaps we haven't touched in all the other work that we've done and through the kind of work you're doing and i'm guessing holotropic breath work would be another one yes definitely the we could solve these things because addiction on one hand you do have these addictions to sweet things, to to drugs, to alcohol, but there's also the emotional games that tend to play out consistently in an intimate relationship. Uh, these addictive relationship patterns that that can happen with fighting, the different games that men and women play with each other, or even same-sex partnerships, that these become very addictive and, and very circular and hard to break out of this pattern. And would you say that's a commonality in, in some of your clients as well, where they have the same, uh, some emotional patterns play out with their partners? Um, what what do you think the, the link there is as well with uh, what you were just talking about? Yes, once somebody has that level of trauma, it will um, try to heal itself by putting them in the situations that needs them to reflect on what's going on. And um, often that becomes amplified in a very intimate relationship with partners, uh, with uh, lovers and and in any kind of intimate relationship where you have to be open to show your real self, that archaic wound will become also part of that. And and uh, and that can become a trigger in the relationship 
issues, with their own health issues, with their own relationship with themselves, all of those become much more amplified in an intimate relationship. And many things can help. I'm not saying Ayurveda, Chinese medicine, and Korean secular. Many things will have, as you mentioned, uh, different um, ethnogens like ayahuasca and others, uh, um, other way. But all of those relate to one thing, is that make person take a journey to their own whole being. Biggest thing we say in that is that the person should be willing. In other words, it's uh, 50% work is actually person's own uh, responsibility. 20 to 30% medicine, 20% um, or 15% practitioner helping and guiding them. But the major onus falls on them. So the the most important part, and it is the most difficult part for everyone, not just them, but us as well, or all, all human being, is to stay aware. We ha- and in, and we have a very hard time in um, staying aware. We tend to seem to fall into becoming, I won't say a machine, but very similar to we kind of a habitual person. We love farming habits, we love farming rituals, we love farming settled life. We look for that settled life that we can go on living the same way. But that itself is the biggest barrier to become that awareness. So we kind of settle into it and that becomes the painful to unsettle from where you are, become aware and take that journey. That's the hardest part. Um, and often chronic diseases have some aspect of emotional and they have the exactly same problem to be to learn to become aware of themselves and unsettle from where they have made their life comfortable because most people want to stay as they are because they are in that comfortable situation or a position. It's only when internal and external keeps pushing them to resolve the issue that they have inside them that they try to find solution. And the first thing instinct instinctually is to find something to keep themselves as they are which would be the addiction normally which would be anything i mean it would be finding a drug that will keep them as they are finding a food or finding a partner who will keep them as they are rather than helping them to actually force themselves to go through the difficult journey so in relationship we also have the same situations we look for open partners who will keep us staying they are like a supporting them as they are rather than saying you need to take a journey and get off from where you are and it's not easy and then we try to hate those partners or we'd like to not like them or it's like a bitter pill that partner now mm. but the difficult part is staying aware staying aware that what is partner saying what is person healing person saying what i'm really looking after is it really something that i'm uh, i have a support and resources to go through all this so in the end, it always is that our journey to its fullness, like Rumi said, everybody's returning home. It's just they are on a different place and a different time and a different path. But in the end, we all are looking for the same uh, fullness experience, same completeness experience. And that staying awareness, it sounds like that, that needs to be an awareness of your own fear of changing or, or evolving or growing through the process and I know from my own experience and you know a bit about my personal experience we shared that when I was with you but I won't go into that now but it can get very intense this whole journey especially my personal recommendation is just have the right practitioners around you the right people around you 
um, especially if you're in a partnership, make them aware of what you're doing, express those emotions and, and ask them to be there if they can be. By all means, they may not even may not stick around because it might be too intense. But yeah, have you got any insights or recommendations on the intensity of of the path of healing, um, finding wholeness? What would you say to that? Yes, you're right. It's a highly intense journey, and I always recommend finding different supports. How intense it is? Virginia Satir, one of the very famous uh, family therapists, um, uh, Richard Bandler, who actually created, uh, was one of the founder of neuro-linguistic programming NLP. And uh, Virginia Satir was one of his mentor. One time, Virginia Satir tells Richard, uh, you know, most people think the instinct to survive is the deepest instinct, that, and it's also the deepest fear, which is the fear of death. But she said there's a much bigger and deeper is, is actually the fear of unknown fear of not familiar going towards not familiar going towards something that you have no idea what you're going to lead into that's the deepest fear or instinct we have and then when we start to literally unravel ourselves we are heading towards that direction of trying to find ourselves and walking into an unknown territory because remember we have habitually become the sense of I. We have no idea. We are not anymore familiar with what it felt like when we have no sense of I. And it's terrifying for our own sense of I-ness, our own sense of ego, our own because the whole world that we have around us, the whole cosmology we live in, is built on that root foundation of I. I am this, so this is my family, this is my name, this is my books, these are my things, these are my life, this is my wife, this is my home. Having no eye means all of those fall apart. And that journey is very intense. But at some point, people suffering in pain of that level have to take it. In fact, we all have to take it at some point. It's just only a matter of when, not, uh, not if it is or not. It is just a matter of time. And often, start small. Don't rush into it. Wait for the time. Make sure you have enough support. Make sure, make sure you understand uh, the partner who are supporting you. Make sure the person around you are aware of who you, what journey you're going through. They or find a mentor who has been through those journeys. Find a healer who can help you, knows, and help other people to go through that journey. Do every possible research. Learn, study. That's why I said on this path, 50% effort is actually person's own. Nobody can make this journey for the person. They have to do it, which means they have to be comfortable doing it as much as possible and go with ease and comfort. Don't rush into it. Don't, don't do it because somebody else did it. Don't do it in the sense that, oh, I will become enlightened and I'll become... Don't go for the reward other than that you will know yourself better. Mm. Are you saying the journey to I or the elimination of even that concept of I is the ultimate healing path in itself. Is that what you're saying? It's not eliminating. It's learning to understand how did we create it and what is it that who we are without that I. You can't eliminate I. You have to function in this world. And that's how the Taoists say in the beginning, or the Zen monks will say in the beginning, earth is earth, mountain is mountain, moon is moon, sun is sun. When you and you start to go on this path, 
earth is not earth moon is not moon mountain is not mountain and then when you have taken this journey earth is again earth moon is again moon mountain is again mountain so the whole thing dissolves and then comes back but when this time comes back up you're more aware of yourself where is the i coming from what is your personal innate nature what you are in this journey as a human being now mm. so it's not an elimination i um there is no sense of eliminating i because but it realizing that you created it and how you created it and what is it that who you are without when you were creating it who was it that created i mm-hmm. yeah i understand Ho- hopefully the listeners understand yeah the small practical steps at the beginning if if someone's kind of listening to this and they they're intrigued by the whole path but they haven't started on it yet i mean but they and they're kind of confused where whether they actually start what where, where do you recommend i would say sit with yourself even if it's small durations and when i say sit with yourself it doesn't have to be that you have to go on a mountain top and find a cave it can be reading a book or something that attracts you it can be reading a sitting with a person who is able to reflect back to you it can be just dancing or listening to music but your focus should be inward not outward even if you're sitting with the person you're sensing yourself how do you feel with this person rather than how beautiful the other person is yes you can always say that or see that but inwardly you have to go back inward what is it that you really feel what is it that you really sense is it uncomfort comfort palpitation of heart sweating same thing with the book if you're reading a book feel and specifically book that will pull you inward i'm not talking about uh, entertainment books yes you can always do that but more focus is anything that helps you to bring your awareness inward and sense inside because that's the most difficult path um, which is sitting with yourself and start small and don't push and then as you go inward you will get more and more awareness of what is it that you're really looking for and that will guide you so in other words if you're looking for a guide your own inner self is the biggest guide um, i wouldn't say in the beginning you should follow somebody's prescribed method or somebody's prescribed uh, way of doing and reaching things yes you can explore it but when you're doing it focus inward where does it lead you does it rhyme and resonate with your inner part resonance being the biggest one we say in um, vedic and uh, say the work that one of the biggest thing you can give yourself as a gift of finding something that resonates with your inner self not as a habitual but really resonates and makes you alive makes you um starts to dissolve the boundary of i-ness you kind of start to forget the sense of i i mean that's why a lot of vajrayana buddhists will talk about uh, dream orgasm and death all three are very similar because in passing through those gates you lose that sense of i um but staying in that place where you don't have when you're losing the sense of i is a hard work it requires a lot of effort to stay in that place uh and not go mad not go insane not go crazy so that's why build strength go slow but find something that helps you to resonate more inward and explore mm in addition to that you could uh, i know it's something i did way back when 4 5 years ago is it's specifically speak your intention out loud to the universe i don't remember speaking it out loud to someone but i, I remember saying on the balcony of my apartment you know universe i'm ready for whatever's next for me help me wake up so to speak and things started to happen it wasn't immediate but 
people started to come my way, different experiences started happening. Uh, I think when you're clear in your intention with your connection with the cosmos, then the cosmos knows what you're ready for and sends you the right things. There's an, from my understanding, there's certainly an innate intelligence of the cosmos of the universe that will be interacting with you at all times, no matter whether you actually say that intention out loud or not. But if you make that intention, it's I think it's a um, powerful way to step forward, whatever that intention is for you. It could be I'm ready to heal whatever needs to be healed to realize who I am. Something like that might work. Yeah. Is that something that you believe the in the power of intention like that? Absolutely. It's um, what you touched is two things. So one is speaking out loud. In Vedic world, if you know a little bit about Vedic, we um, focus a lot on um, Sanskrit syllables that resonate inside and outside. What we really mm -hmm. say is, when you really speak from your heart, when I say speak from heart, means using your sound and throat and resonating your heart with speech, it does two things. It actually echoes back in you. Whatever you say is going through your head. It's going through your uh, resonance, through your palate, through your whole brain and your own internal sky. And it's also telling other person uh, and modifying their awareness if they are listening with open heart. So whatever we say, whether, even if you're saying lie, it is going through us as well as telling the other person. So it is affecting you more than other person when you speak out loud. That's why we often say in my world that um, teaching is something that you have to take it very, very carefully. And that's why a lot of people don't become teacher until at their late part of their age, because teaching means saying things, talking things. And if those things I'm talking are not really based on my own experience, then it's a lie, which actually pushes the person into a deeper state of imbalance. And so speaking out loud, but with open, free heart, changes you internally. Mm. That's the important point. And that will only happen if you intend, if your intention is clear, if your motivation is clear. That's why um, a lot of Buddhists talk about Motivation is the most important. Even Sufis talk about motivation is very important. Intention is very important because with clear motivation, clear intention, what you speak will change you. Yes, of course, the universe is supporting all the time. It's not that only when you speak it's supporting. It's supporting all the time. It's responding all the time. It's just that most often we don't have open, clear heart and intention to be able to even resonate through that. Yeah, that's what happens in my understanding behind um, when we are open hearted, clear hearted and with clear intention and motivation speak out. This is what I really am and this is what I really want. That changes you. Yes. The universe is just waiting for that to make it happen. Yeah. And with any words that we speak, it's very important that, that we speak from the heart, um, believe in them and then stick to them with, with an intention like I just mentioned. It's it's a, it's a bold statement and saying that out loud will, as you say, change your own internal compass and vibration and, and therefore things will shift on the outside. But even on the small things, saying, you know, I'm going to do fitness three times a week or 
I'm going to change my habits around something. Saying that out loud to yourself is a commitment to your own inner integrity. And it's kind of something we all need to stick to as much as possible if we want to evolve and grow in our lives, sticking to the words we speak. Any final words on that one? That's what you said exactly that if even in a which is basically you're repeating what i said in the beginning that you have to become aware mm. and hold on the awareness all the time that when you're speaking you're aware of what you're actually speaking if you if you're saying i'm going to have a written fitness routine for three times a week having that clarity and holding that awareness will make it happen um just repeating like a parrot or just repeating one thing again and again and again will take ages for the awareness to actually arise and hold on to that awareness and actually make the change. But having a complete awareness of what you're saying and how you're saying and what you really mean and having the intention clarity for every one small thing makes a big difference. Mm. My final question will actually be about if anyone listening has perhaps been on the journey that we've mentioned that they have called to the universe they have been on this healing journey and they're somewhat healed if not fully maybe it's been a two three four five ten twenty year process for some people i imagine is there anything to do on the other side or are we just chilling on the beach metaphorically what happens next it's as my teacher used to say once you hit the journeys the biggest see um, the most of our effort is taking that first step, is to revert back inward even for a moment. All our effort, we should focus on taking that first step. The rest, as you had pointed to, is the universe. The hardest part is that rewarding, hardest part is having that clarity, hardest part, hardest part is actually taking the first step. And then the thousand steps will happen. But what happens after that, everyone's experience is different. But it still has that sameness uh, at the same time difference. It's like a forest. It's We use a lot of metaphor in um, Vedic cosmology or in the cosmos I come from, a forest. Um, that human life is a forest. The uh, uh, world is a forest. And, and there is a difference between wilderness and forest. I'm not talking about wilderness. I'm talking about... Uh, tropical forest that's where the most of the india is or himalayan forest forest is always open it never closes itself for some beings or somebody and forest is always changing and it incorporates various different experiences from birds to mammals to trees to plants to insects um, they all live in harmony of each other and having those different experiences but in the end they together make a forest so when you look at the forest you still still can see the sameness of forest but at the same time, it's made up of all diverse experiences and it's open and it's continuously changing. I think that's what happens when we start taking journey inwards. We enter into that forest. We all have different experiences, but in the end, we all seem to experience that there is something unique, similar about all of this. Um, and you ever had your experiences? I have had, other people have had, but we all seem to come to that openness, to that uh, vivid presence, that aliveness, that um, clarity. All those things seem same, but every experience is different, like a forest being. Mm, beautifully put. So lastly, yeah, if we could offer some resources for perhaps people, are there any books or uh, local things that people should seek out, perhaps holotropic breathwork workshops or Ayurvedic 
people in that area? Are there specific kind of resources on Ayurveda or things like that? Like a book you would recommend? More than book, I think it's to find people. Okay. Whatever the journey they are, find. Um, it's more important is a fellow traveler than actually a book. Book will only inspire you. So if you're looking for inspiration from a book, yes. There are many books that can inspire you. And um, in um, in the world of um, Vedic world, I would say uh, look for books from Abhinagupta, who was a 12th century uh, writer. Look uh, for books uh, uh, that are related to um present Buddhist Vajrayana as well, look for Ayurvedic texts that talk about internal work. But more important than all these books, books can some... See, um, uh, Vivek Chudamani, which is one of the oldest Vedic texts, it talks about words are the greatest forest. And an uninitiated person can easily get lost in them. Mm. So... I wouldn't initially rely on more on books. I would rather rely on getting experiences, finding people, uh, connecting people, talking with people, and then practicing, most important. Whatever inspires you, practice it and see where it gets you because that will lead you to next. And that's how the chain will start. But give more importance to experience, anubhava, we say, rather than just books. Books will help to inspire, help to clear your thoughts about uh, give you some kind of filter, but in the end, they are just books. Great. And um, how would people get in contact with you? I know your your main clients are people with chronic diseases. So you work with mostly with people in Southern California, is that right? Yes, that's true. I am in San Diego, and uh, I work with people in uh, Southern California. Uh, my website is uh, pranajiacupuncture.com, which is P-R-A-N-A-J-I and then acupuncture.com. You can find all info, my contact, email, phone, all of those on there and what I do and some articles and things that I am interested in, things that I incorporate in um, people's life. So that's the best way to reach me Go uh, on through my website. I also do workshops sometimes. I also take people in a group to India or when I teach Green Sacred work and time to time I post them on my website as well. I'm also on Facebook and um, Instagram, but all of those links are on my website, pranajiacupuncture.com. Nice. I will have links to that. And yeah, thanks so much for your time. I highly recommend for people to check out Prana's work. And yeah, thanks again for your time. It's been awesome. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for having me. Have a wonderful day. Did you know you can get all of our podcasts on our free podcast app? Head over to rawattractionpodcast.com to download the app now. For the world's most ecstatic love and sex podcasts, bonus videos, and exclusive articles, head to rawattractionpodcast.com to get the free app now.